The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome in, uh, wherever you're watching, citywide, statewide, nationwide, worldwide. This is the one and only Line to Gain uh, podcast here on the Buffalo Rumblings Network. I'm the big O, Jerry Ostrowski. She is Sarah Larson. We are way late, and it's only <laughs> fitting that we're late today because we have such an awesome guest for the first time, and I hope to God not the last time we ever... Uh, Wants to come on with us, but uh, joining us tonight on the podcast is Matt Perino. Matt with Channel 4. He is a Bills Beat reporter. He's also with the Shout Podcast. I'm sure you do a a bunch of other things as well, Matt. Thank you for being patient with us and also helping us troubleshoot our problem. Uh, Thanks for joining us tonight on the show. Thanks for having me. And listen, (laughs) this was meant to be, like I was telling you guys, Ryan and I had this same issue before one of our shows like a week or two ago, and we troubleshot it ourselves. So uh, you know, we, we got to stick together in this business, well, right? It's, it's funny because I called out Jerry on the, the chat on YouTube and told everybody that, that Jerry forgot about this show tonight, joking. <laughs> and then he gets on and then I'm the one with the technical issue. <laughs> hey, man. I, uh, I it's my been one of those I, nights. My wife and I have been married for over 25 years. I understand what it's like to get blamed for things that aren't my fault. It's okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Well. Matt, I know I told you to sign on a few minutes late so that, uh, you know, we can go through our sponsorship stuff, but you're here. um, So I apologize for this part, but it is a new season and we are lucky enough to have a couple of sponsors sponsors this year. So I'm going to actually play both um, back to back. So just give us a a moment to um, for, you know, our sponsors. Hey, football fans, the season is here. So you know that means family, football, and food. But for the NFL's best fan base, it can't be just any food. Bill's Mafia only eats the best during the season. And the best is Picasso's Pizza. With four great locations in Western New York, it's so easy to treat yourself to the most flavorful pizza on game day. Picasso's. We are Buffalo Pizza. Shipping local and nationwide. Order online at picassospizza.net. Bill's Mafia is back. Are you ready for it? 
The third annual Buffalo Rumblings IPA beer release party is going down September 16th, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. at the Resurgence Brewing Company located downtown at 55 Chicago Street. I'm going to tell you what, you do not want to miss this event. Come out and hang with Joe, Sarah, and the rest of the Buffalo Rumblings crew for the Megapod. You're going to want to bring your questions and be a part of the live stream. Get involved. It's going to be live. And this year, we're also going to have our friends from Fans of Buffalo joining the party and sponsoring the fun. They're going to be in the house to provide you with all the information you need to make your away game day experience the easiest and the most smooth that you've ever had in your life. I can promise you, they they do their job very well. So make sure you make it out Saturday, September 16th, 6 p.m., Resurgence Brewing Company, 55 Chicago Street. Go Bills. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back. The line to gain here on the Buffalo Rumblings Network. Matt Perino joins us, uh, Channel 4 Bill's Beat Reporter. And, and Matt, I just want to get right into it. Um, obviously, we started a little bit late, so I don't want to waste any more of your time. I want to get right into the you know the meat of this thing, and uh, obviously the Bills go down to, to to Pittsburgh, which has always been a very very hard place to play. Uh, anytime you go to Pittsburgh, preseason or regular season, it's tough. Just kind of your feelings being around the uh, being around the facility, kind of you know how this team is responding to such a. There's another way to put it. I mean, just a very poor effort by the team the last preseason game. How does the team seem to be? Is it hey, it's just another preseason game. We're fine. What is the mood right now at One Bills Drive? <clears throat> well, I thought it was interesting talking to Dion Dawkins in the locker room after that game. Like, he is a pretty cool customer, you know, most of the time. And he was in that moment. But one of the things that he said to me that really stood out was, like, how much of a reality check this is for everybody there. Because Pittsburgh Steelers, I mean, this is a team that I don't think a lot of people were talking about before that game. Um, you know, Kenny Pickett is a second year quarterback. I don't think anybody's thinking that in an AFC, even if they have some success in their division, that they're going to be able to really stand toe to toe with the big uh, dogs of this di- division. But they looked the part and they got some real players on the defensive side of the ball. And I think what Dion said was like, we're not going to just show up as the Bills and just run teams over. I mean, everybody's going to come to give their best shot to the Bills, especially knowing, you know, what happened last season, what's kind of permeated this offseason. Maybe some organizations think that, you know, this is the time to get after the Bills. Like maybe there's some dissension. Maybe there's some problems. Um but I think what we've seen in the last couple of days is really interesting because it was this really scrappy week of practice last week, right? Like they were going back and forth, arguing, fighting. I mean, Jerry, you know this. I mean, nobody's got to tell you sure. about what training camp's like. You go out and you get your, you know, get it handed to you by the Steelers. You come out the next day and you could kind of see over the next two days how much practice was kind of changing. And yesterday, some, some pre-step penalties again. Um, some, some different things happening in practice that I was a little bit sloppy today. It was a completely different story. I mean, the offense was outstanding in all the team drills in red zone. Josh Allen looked like the assassin that everybody knows him to be 
And I mean, that is a huge development. Now, a couple weeks outside of this New York Jets game, we're probably not going to see a lot of starters. Uh, I don't expect to see Josh Allen on Saturday. So he probably played his last game before they play the Jets. But it was just in the little things, the way they were competing, it, it seemed like a higher level on both sides of the ball. Ed Oliver had two sacks in the in the game or in the practice today. Taron Johnson had an interception against Josh Allen, just absolutely blanketing Andy Isabella. It was a highly competitive practice, and both sides had a lot of good moments. And to me, that's an early sign of responding to adversity. As little adversity as it was, that was an egg that they laid on Saturday. Everybody was waiting for that big moment when all the starters played. It didn't go well. How they responded, I was I was watching for it. And I think across the board, from Sean McDermott specifically, like sometimes you could just see like a head coach just has it together a little bit more. Like there, you know, the, there's a little bit more hop in their step, you know, changing in between periods. You hear them more. Like just looking at Sean, he's been all business this week. And you know, he said that everybody's got to take accountability including himself. There's a lot on his plate this year. Right. We had 12 uh, penalties in the first half on uh, on Saturday. I was unable to watch the game because um, I was in Massachusetts, and for some reason they didn't want to play it in Massachusetts. <laughs> um, so I ended up having to wait until today uh, to be able to um, to catch it on uh, NFL+. Plus. I When everyone was talking about these penalties, I was just like, you know, it can't be that bad, you know, like 12, like this is, you know, ridiculous. I watched back the, that the film today and I did um, the condensed version to begin with. Mm-hmm. And it was ridiculous, even in the condensed version, you know, penalty, penalty, penalty. Um, and it literally was on most of our starters. So do you feel, I know you said that today in practice, they kind of, um, you know, you started seeing it a little bit better do you feel like we just haven't really, you know, ha- um, have focused on, you know, that aspect of it during camp? Or do you feel like that they're getting back on track now because they had all those penalties on Saturday? I'd like to actually flip it and, and ask uh, Jerry a question on this, because one of the things that I think is really interesting is like you have a veteran in Connor McGovern that comes in to play left guard, right. but it's kind of a scheme flip like he didn't play this style uh in dallas you know they're going to ask him to get out in space a little bit more osiris torrance you know kind of like that anchor like huge power guard they're going to ask him to even get out and be a little bit more athletic in what they ask him to do so those two guys you know really important pins in this whole thing are kind of learning a whole new deal and you know it wasn't even the two of them with the penalties you had spencer brown on the outside mitch morris i think had one dalton kincaid had one but I just think with as a unit, as an offensive line unit, they're still they're going to need a lot of time on task, like repetitions to know some of the pre-snap stuff that I'm, I'm sure they're still going over. And right. Ken Dorsey, no matter who you talk to in this offense, vets that come in. I remember Emmanuel Sanders a couple years ago just flabbergasted at how complex this scheme is. All the responsibilities, the pre-snap responsibilities, the motions all the different checks and calls that you have to do before it happens. That's a lot on everybody's plate. And I just think that, you know, in that moment, the first 20 snaps that had as a group as starters, you know, just kind of went a little bit wonky. I mean, Jerry, how tough is that when you're adding those two new guards in? Well, it's, it's definitely tough because you have to have that continuity. And, you know, even though McGovern's a veteran coming from Dallas, he hasn't had a ton of snaps 
under his belt. I mean, he's a guy that's had a little bit of an injury problem, has been more of a backup than a starter at Dallas. Um, so he's a guy that needs to get more reps. Obviously, Torrance is coming in, completely playing a new position, uh, a rookie, even though he has played in the SEC and has played against a lot of these guys that he's playing against right now, especially when we play Philadelphia. I mean, the whole dang defense is, is Georgia Bulldogs, right? But I think a lot of this goes into, and it's kind of builds off of what you bring up about having to really, really strain with a new system. You know, you to me, they were mentally not there. And that is really hard. You can't fake football, right? And when you're when you're coming off of a training camp and you're you you're coming, you're tired, you're wore out, you're just now back to Orchard Park from leaving Rochester, sometimes those things creep up on you. And the harder you try to not make those mistakes, you just make more and more. They kind of compound themselves. So I think the biggest thing out of this preseason game to me was not necessarily the the pre-snap errors. Those are uncalled for. You can't have them. But those are highly fixable. The part that that I want to see out of this group, and I also want to see out of the out of the front the front seven on our defense, is I was a little bit disappointed in some of the physicality or lack thereof that I saw in this game. I thought that they weren't very physical up front. I thought that they had some issues getting pushed around. Obviously, Cam Haywood is a is a tremendous nose guard. But, you know, Pittsburgh played like a team that was sure of themselves. They've been in that position before. They've got T.J. Watt. They got Haywood. They got all pro guys lining up on that side of the ball. And they just seem to always find these rookies or these free agents that fit in so well to that 3-4 defense they run. So I thought they were much more sure of themselves. And with being sure of themselves, they were able to bring that physicality where, you know, prime example, if you watch the touchdown run by Warren, um, you know, Dotson is catching a lot of grief for that play because he didn't fit properly. Okay, that's a mental error. When you don't fit, when you have that B gap and you don't fit the outside shoulder of the offensive guard that's climbing on you, that's a mental error. But you know what? If you look at that defense, McDermott had the nose guard. He had the backside middle linebacker and the frontside middle linebacker shaded to the side of the run. And the nose guard gets hooked and, sh- and, and shielded off just one-on-one by a center who has to snap the ball. So he's already going to be a little bit late. Right guard chips and works up, covers up the backside guy. And, you know, a couple of poor angles by safeties and you got a touchdown. So I think the biggest thing is, and it is hard, it's incredibly hard to 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 find continuity without reps. They got to keep getting reps, right? But I also think that as many mental errors they made, I was probably more, I don't want to say upset, but maybe more concerned about the lack thereof of, of physicality on either side of the ball. But, you know, we're in the two preseason games now, Matt, and you look at this thing, and um, where are we as far as when you look at those two games, kind of some of the things that are standing out that are good for you, and maybe some of the things you might be a little concerned with after two preseason games? So I think the number one thing that stood out to me is the realization that Dalton Kincaid is going to be very important for (laughs) this offense. And I mean, uh, Dan Arlovsky actually just put out a little uh, film clip uh, where he analyzed some of the stuff that Kincaid's done early. And, you know, as soon as Brandon Bean drafted him and they started talking about, you know, replacing what Cole Beasley did in this scheme. I mean, it's not that, that clear cut comparison because Kincaid's a completely different player, but if you look at it from like almost through the Travis Kelsey lens and, 
listen, I'm not sitting here trying to compare the players. Right. Like Kincaid's got a whole career to kind of make whatever that's going to look like. But what what Kelsey does and the bind that he puts linebackers in and safeties in at the second level, we're seeing that already from Kincaid. And you mentioned, you know, this Pittsburgh Steelers defense that had their first team defense out there, and it wasn't too big for Kincaid. To me, that's right. like a big part. Like if you can start to operate in that short and intermediate area, you have a young rookie tight end who's developing trust from the quarterback and Josh Allen. That's the part of the game that I feel like last season was missing. And then all of a sudden, now you have that to contend with. You have Stefan Diggs on the outside, Gabe Davis, who I think is going to um, have a much better season than he had a year ago if he could stay healthy. I think they can unlock this run game because how do you deal right. with all of these different factors? I still go back to the fourth day of training camp. James Cook just put on an absolute show. And I just think the dynamic way that you can use him as a weapon lined up outside wide in the slot, in the backfield, running routes out of the backfield. Like there's so many ways they can deploy this thing. And I, it's funny. I saw Ken Dorsey today. He did the press conference. He, his eyes were a little red. I, I'm sure he was grinding tape right before he walked into the, the press conference room. But I can't imagine what goes through that guy's head every night, knowing all the players that he has in this offense and all the ideas that they probably have, not to mention the complexity of this thing. So I think that this offense is going to hit the ground running. And I, I also think, how do the Jets prepare for that? Like, they're going to try to get pressure. The one area of concern that I have is probably at right tackle, right? Like, I mean, Spencer Brown, you know, that was a tough game, like, for him. And, you know, Deion Dawkins, I still think we, we saw the best version of Deion Dawkins, in my opinion, in the last 10 games of 2021, which is crazy because he had two bouts with COVID that year. I don't. It was amazing to watch. He just kind of ascended to a level that I think really propelled their offense down the stretch into that playoff run uh, that ended, obviously, in the 13 seconds. I thought he took a minor step back last year. I think part of it was mm -hmm. the, the lackluster play at left guard. Unfortunately, Roger Saffold loved the guy, enjoyed every conversation I had with him. But he, was just, he just got a little bit too old, and the, the level of play there wasn't where it needed to be. And so if the line doesn't show up and has a way to, you know, answer a bunch of questions that they're going to bring from the jets i mean quinn and williams looks like an absolute monster in in hard knocks i mean they're they're starting the hardest way that they can start off but i also think the jets are going to have a really complicated start to their season too facing this bills defense so to me it's the offensive line which is the concern but i think it's the you know the playmakers for the bills that i really think is going to allow them to do a lot of cool things i don't know today uh um, Nick Wright said that um, Saffold was the our best <laughs> offensive lineman. <laughs> I saw that so. clip, and I think he, they said something else too at the end of that that I think that I I thought was kind of funny. Um, he lost me at Saffold. I, I literally yeah. oh you didn't the end part of it. The mute button is a wonderful thing, Sarah. You should try it sometime. <laughs> I've been actually having a kick with the the national media um, over the past uh, couple weeks. It's been kind of fun between some people misspeaking, some people being fed the wrong information. Um, I don't know if it's part of the writer's strike or what, but it's been uh, it's been pretty bad <laughs> the last couple of weeks. So well, it's, the uh, today the Seattle is... Seahawks are also part of the AFC now instead of the NFC. I so did that see was that. A new that was pretty today. funny. Yeah. <laughs> I did see that. The funny thing about the Stephen A. Smith thing on Diggs, like as an aside, 
He said it in a segment where they were talking about the Jets. Like that was the start of the segment, right? Right. And then he just kind of like snuck in that Stefan Diggs thing. Like to me as a reporter, like if you have sources telling you that Stefan Diggs wants out of Buffalo, you're not going to shoehorn that into a segment on the Jets 15 minutes into the block. Right. Like that is right. like a, you know, shouted from the rooftops kind of uh, right. report. So it's just, I don't know. There's no accountability for those kinds of folks. And, you know, it's just kind of a different media landscape at this point, I guess. So one of the things that I wanted to, to ask, you've been to practice throughout camp. You've been to the the preseason games. You've seen pretty much it all throughout the, um, you know, all this time. I know you think that, that Gabe is going to have a step forward and I'm hoping and praying that he does. Um, what about uh, the, the backup quarterback position? Are you as worried seeing Kyle Allen out there? I know, you know, I know Barkley is always has been, you know, slated as our practice squad uh, quarterback. Do you feel like the Bills should be shopping around a little bit if something was to happen? Or are we just going to, you know, go into the season hoping and praying that that Josh remains obviously healthy? You know who I think would be like the perfect backup quarterback for the Bills? Jacoby Brissett. Like I, I think Thank that you. <laughs> his style of play. That's a very good call. I is, said that last week. In the well, yeah. that's because you're very intelligent, and I'm just riding your coattails here. And uh, yeah, thank you for right, that. Matt. Right. Um, he signed a one-year deal with the Commanders. It's worth up to eight million dollars. That's yeah. significantly more than Kyle Allen. God. So I think it was just a situation of, and he's also kind of like hunting those contracts or those situations where there's a path to playing and, and it, I mean, he could have beaten out Sam Howell. So I think right. that was a little bit more appealing to him. I don't, I'm not as down on Kyle Allen as a lot of people are. It, it hasn't been okay. great, but I think operationally he will get better. The more comfortable he gets with the scheme and the more he gets to kind of sit back and watch Josh run it. Like once they get to the season, like how many snaps has he actually gotten to see him do it? Right. Like we never got to see Mitch Trubisky in the game, but like, are we really sitting here saying that Mitch Trubisky was going to be some great answer with, if Josh Allen were to miss four or five games? I don't know. Like I watched him in Pittsburgh last year and then when he played, it right. was, it wasn't great. So there usually aren't a lot of like elite options, like ones where you're, you're going to feel comfortable for a stretch. Um, even Case Keenum, I, I think if he would have gotten in the game last year, it would have been um, probably problematic. Kyle Allen, he's got some juice with his arm. He's got a, he's kind of got it like a nice demeanor to him, and he can get himself really charged up. He's just got to avoid the big mistakes, and also, I think the the he'll he'll get more calm the more he's in the system. So I'm I'm not like. I don't think it's that important because I think if Josh Allen misses an extended period of time, you're in trouble anyway. And even if you have a higher end backup, like some people were talking about Teddy Bridgewater. If it, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's really in a different tier than Kyle Allen. I kind of place him in the same. I kind of had Bridgewater yeah. around Brissett. Just I like I kind of those were my two offseason hopes, but. You know, looking at this and looking at the backup quarterback situation, also looking at all of a sudden we are really, really thin at offensive tackle. Mm -hmm. I noticed in practice today that, that Isabella was getting a lot of first-team reps, right? And I, is that correct? I mean, he was – I was, can't discuss was, that, Jerry. That is okay. against uh, reporting guidelines. Okay. We are well, let me, well let, me, let me say this. I would – let me just assume then, let me just guess. If I was to say theoretically – 
that he was getting a lot of first team reps today. And, and obviously he has turned heads in camp to where he is getting those reps with our, with our maybe situation at backup quarterback, not being what it wants to be really, I put all my onus upon the backup tackle spot. And then you also look at how many receivers we do have that are capable how many extra defensive ends we seem to have on this team. And obviously Vaughn will be coming back at some point. Is a guy like Shakir now, and maybe one of the couple of these other defensive ends that we have that are kind of depth players, are they maybe targets to trade or move to obtain some backup depth at those positions that we need players? You know, I think it's a juggling act for being to kind of weigh the evaluation on Shakir and Isabella, like how much higher is Isabella than Shakir through this period? I mean, for all that of the juice that he's kind of gained in, you know, the media and amongst fans, he has still only been here for like three weeks. And right. so how much can you accomplish in that time? A lot. Like he has accomplished a lot. I think his camp is, it will go down maybe not in the Christian in Christian Wade territory because i mean i think people are going to think about his kickoff or his run uh running touchdown for years to come but he's definitely like a fan favorite and and i think has a chance to make the roster but i think shakir you gotta bake in the cost controlled three years left on his rookie deal that like this isn't the finished product like they're getting isabella five years into the nfl um you kind of know what he is at this point what he can do and not only what he's done here. Now, this is another kind of sidebar to all this. Whatever he hasn't accomplished to this point, the Bills can look at it as, okay, he wasn't here. He wasn't in this offense. So now that what we know about him internally and how quickly he's picked this up, maybe we can unlock something with him. How much is he going to play, though? Is he going to play over Deontay Hardy? Is he um, kind of a fail-safe if Deontay Hardy gets hurt? Where is he going to play in the slot? Well, you, you want to work kind of Dalton Kincaid in that into that mix as well. Trent Sherfield plays in the slot. So I just don't know if there's enough balls to go around. And I do know that Khalil Shakir plays every position in this offense. And that's something that I don't think any Isabella does. So I think it's, it's really interesting. I think to trade Shakir, they'd have to get something that's really worthwhile and have a serious, you know, plan for Isabella with how they're right. going to utilize them. They keep them on the 53. So uh, Ryan put out his, um, for those people who don't know, Matt does a, a podcast with Ryan and has worked with Ryan for a while. He put out his 53-man um, roster. Um, and his, his and I uh, opinion on the wide receiver group kind of went hand in hand. I still am in the, the, the mindset that we might keep seven. Do you think that that is a possibility? Do you agree with him? Because he, he put down that he agrees that he thinks that they're going to keep all seven. Yeah, I think that there's a path to keeping seven, um, mainly because I think that Hardy missing a season and having, you know, just seeing him in person, he is a small dude, like at five, six, um, he's not small, like um, his body is, he, he's muscular, he's, he's, he's kind of a big dude, but he's very tiny, and I just wonder when you take that kind of punishment, I mean, if you're talking about 20 to 30 or 40 to 50 percent of the snaps every week, you know, how much can you trust him over the course of the season, knowing the injury that he's coming off of? So to me, if you keep seven, it's to protect against 
injury. I mean, Gabe Davis got hurt last year. Like maybe you need to move a Khalil Shakir into a wide receiver two role. If somebody goes down, Hardy goes in the slot. Um, Isabella can then maybe take over some, you know, kick return duties, punt return duties. There's a lot of versatility to all of that. In the end, I'm going to differ with Ryan and say that they keep six and cut Andy Isabella and try to get him to the practice squad. And I know a lot of Bills fans are not going to be thrilled with that. But again, I just, I don't, I don't like getting in the business of overreacting to three weeks of training camp uh, as good of a, a run as he's had because he has been really great. Yeah, and uh, today it was there. We're going off in the um in the chat. It was confirmed today that last year, even though um he only played in five games, Andy Isabella, he was dressed for six. So technically, he is now considered a vested veteran. He has four um years under his belt, so he doesn't have to clear waivers. So there is actually a good opportunity there that if, you know, we're able to talk to him, uh, you know, about cutting him and making sure he, um, you know, will will go on the practice squad. I'm a little more, um, you know, leaning towards, yeah, six would be okay in that, um, in that sense. Um, and that could be one that, of those situations too, just sorry to interrupt, No, you're where like, remember a couple of years ago when they cut Dean Marlowe and Taiwan Jones, and they basically said, we're cutting you, but we're handshaking and we want to get you on yeah. the practice squad and you're going to be a part of the, the plan. To me, that's where Andy Isabella fits in. It hasn't gone well. I think he loves what's going on in Buffalo and how he could potentially fit given an opportunity. So those are the kind of guys that you can kind of just have a handshake with and say, okay, come back to the practice squad. It kind of like, um, Duke Johnson last year, you know, he, he was a, he was great for them in the room. He was a, a guy that had, they needed him would have been a nice guy to throw into the mix at some point at running back. They just never got to that point. Right now. Um, do you feel like there's going to be a surprise where I'm sure you've seen 50,000, you know, uh, 53 man rosters at this point. Um, do you think that there's going to be a surprise cut out there that, you know, everyone's saying that this one person is, definitely going to make the team and you feel like they're not not really um the one guy that i think could be surprising and like i've tried to think this through every which way and by the way let me preface this by saying i'm not predicting that he gets cut i'm just <laughs> trying to kind of throw out somebody that if this happened i could at least see a path to it aj Epinesa, right like i think the bills are in a situation where they ha- when 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 Vaughn gets back, they're going to have a ton of guys on their yes. defensive line that they can rush inside, outside, versatility. So maybe not a cut candidate, but somebody that they can maybe trade. When I brought this up a couple we- weeks ago on the podcast, people are like, they are not getting rid of AJ Epinesa. I don't know. I just it is a results driven business, yeah. and I don't know if I've seen enough results from AJ Epinesa consistently like in the preseason when you're going up against twos like you should be winning your one-on-ones at the very least and you know it's just not consistent like there's so many times you watch them out on the edge just running by the play and like those are the kinds of things the nuanced little things that you're you're looking to see improve over time and it just hasn't so like I don't know if it's you just get to a point and you just we're not going to resign him next year if you're Brandon Bean and you just say, we're just going to move on because there's no trade market for him. And it allows us to focus on some other things. Like, listen, Shaq Lawson, they know what they got in him. 
They trust him. He played the most snaps of any defensive end on this roster last year after Von Miller went out. So those are all. And Kingsley Jonathan, don't sleep on this dude. They like him a lot. They 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 found a way to get him into games last year after Von went out on on multiple occasions. So um, there's there's a lot of competition. I think Boogie having two years left on the rookie deal to me makes it more so that they they lean on keeping him because there's more window to develop the player. I think Epinesa is who he is at this point. You know, and I think the other big telling sound of that is also they've put him in positions to shine. I think they in the preseason, I, that is, they've put him in positions to go out and show that he can produce and, you know, kind of piggybacking what you said, he's been a little bit in, invisible uh, up to the up to date. But when you look at that defensive line and, you know, I thought the biggest issue they had last year, because granted, they have depth across the board. They have tons of depth at defensive end. I thought they lacked a lot of size up the middle. And it's when you get when Phillips gets hurt, now you get a lot smaller, even though some of the guys, you know, settle or big or whatever. They bring Puna Ford in, which a lot of people were excited about that. Kind of what is the general sense of Puna Ford in the preseason right now and how he's performed up to date? Is he be, is he the player that they thought he was going to be for? I think it's still early. I think he's still kind of in that same boat, kind of getting his feet wet. Like I know when the first depth chart came out, people were really kind of taken aback by him being like fifth in in the pecking order. Yeah. But that doesn't surprise me. I mean, Tim Settle has been here, he like in the scheme. And Eric Washington talked about how big of a jump he took just in understanding their philosophy and what they're trying to do from last year to the year before. Um I think Puna Ford is going to be a huge relief on Daquan Jones. Like, I think you can keep him a little bit healthier and kind of share the low with Ford as he gets more comfortable over the course of the season. I've seen a lot of good from him. I also, I felt bad for him. I think it was him on that run by Waddle, uh, or not Waddle, Warren, Warren. um, where he got it. He kind of was kind of pushing up the middle and was it settle who kind of right. just fell on his legs there yeah. uh, in yeah. the middle. So maybe he could have made a play on that. I'm not sure, but um, yeah, I, I think Puna Ford there, there, there's a lot of excitement about him in the building. He he's been really strong in practice. Um, we'll see if it translates into the game. Sarah, you got something? Yeah. Well, no, I was going to switch position groups. So um, I kind of had um, Medikovic being, our one surprise cut. And I said it in the off season and people were like, his contract is fully guaranteed. And I said, I know, but I still felt like he was the one person that he's really not going to come in at linebacker. Um, We already have six others that were, you know, most likely going to keep unless we, you know, trade one away. Um, And he's, he's really on the, the squad for special teams. Now we already have a couple of people who are on the squad specifically for special teams. So um, he's been kind of like my, my one person to, to cut and um, that people are going to be surprised about. And ironically, um, Ryan actually had it on his uh, 53 as well. So mm-hmm. do you feel like there's room for him? Do you think we're going to keep seven linebackers or do you think there's another linebacker we might cut instead of him or. I mean, is Balen Spector's spot a lock? I mean, we got I, some people saying he's going to be starting at middle linebacker by the middle of the season. So. I mean, I mean, maybe, but like, 
I am really trying to think of a, of a similar situation to a guy that gets enters training camp under the, in the McDermott regime and Bean enters training camp as part of a three headed competition and is out after one day of practice. Like it was so dramatic. I mean, he came in and like all they were talking about leading up to training camp was Spectre. Bean was mentioning him like every interview. He got a question about middle linebacker. He was talking about Spectre. The fact that he was in the facility all off season, you know, how much, farther he's come, you know, taking care of his body and doing all the right things. And then we get to camp and everybody's kind of expecting Dotson and Bernard to duke this thing out. And they're like, no, Spectre's in there too. And he goes out there and he has a day of practice. And then we never see him there again with the first team. And so to me, depending on like, it's going to be really important. Like go back. I haven't tracked it. Uh, my good friend, Joe Biscalia, he loves doing the, uh, the, he checks all the people playing special teams. Uh, that's a little bit too in the weeds for me, but um, it, it, if he's playing on those first team um, special teams uh, snaps, that that's a good path to the roster for, you know, Balen Spector and maybe something that can push a Tyler Matikiewicz out if he could do multiple things. Now, I do think Matikiewicz can play defense, but he's coming back from that injury. And so I don't think they, he's been in the mix for, the, for that perspective, but he's been... Tremaine Edmonds backup the last couple of years on the depth chart. So I think in a pinch they can use him um, at that spot. I don't know. It's, it's anybody's guess. Like remember a couple of years ago, Delshawn Phillips made the 53 man roster. There's always a chance that we can have like a out of left field. Nobody's expecting it. Like Cameron Klein, somebody mentioned him. He's had a really good training camp. Um, he's had a really, really good preseason. Uh, I thought he played really well the other day. I mean, one of those kind of like names, I, I think the bills picked him up off waivers from the Kansas city Chiefs, So obviously they liked him. They've had some good pass rushers over there over the last couple of years. So there's a lot of like fun little names, but I think 49 50, uh, I think we're pretty much covered on this 53. Man. I want to stay with the same group, but the linebacker group. And the question I had was, you know, there's a lot of people that are, you know, they're, they're upset that Edmonds isn't around anymore. I think it's pretty obvious that the bills couldn't afford him. But when you look at Edmonds' strengths, when you look at his strengths, he's a cover, he's a Tampa two middle linebacker, can drop in the deep middle. Uh, he's a sea ball, run it down type of guy, but he's not particularly uh, an A gap filler guy. He wasn't a stick your face in there, r- stop the run kind of linebacker, which I believe is what McDermott kind of wants to go back to, especially if you look at the linebackers that he had in Carolina. What is when you look, I watched Dorian Williams a lot in college. He played at Tulane. My son plays at Tulsa. They played against each other. I saw him play a lot. He's a dynamic playmaker, I think. I think he's quick inside. I know he's not huge. Makes a ton of tackles. Right now, other than just trying to learn because he's a rookie, what maybe is the holdup on him where they have him behind the Matt Milano instead of behind uh, Dots and the other guys that are at middle linebacker and trying to get him ready to play middle linebacker as opposed to that outside linebacker position that Milano plays. This is one area where I think it's, it's legitimate to criticize Sean McDermott. I mean, that's one thing and he's, and listen, sometimes like this is a great way to look at it. Sometimes, you know, you got to kind of get with the times, right? Like, you know, maybe you're not a self, maybe you grew up in the seventies, right. And before the invention of cell phones and you, 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 all your kids have cell phones and your grandkids have cell phones and you just, you don't want to come, and just accept the technology and be, become a part mm-hmm. of the culture. 
Sean McDermott mentioned this last year, last year, two years ago, that in today's NFL, you have to draft and start rookies. That's just the way that this, this world works now. And he's hesitant to do it. I mean, we've seen it play out with Kyrie Elam. Um, yeah. The Dorian Williams thing is interesting too. They got to minicamp and everybody was like, thought that Dorian Williams was going to start at outside linebacker because that's what Brandon Bean said when they drafted him. Then we get to OTAs and Sean's like, oh no, he's working at middle linebacker right now. Then we get the training back, training camp. He's back at, um, on the outside. To your point, I think sometimes you got to let these youngsters fail a little bit. And, you know, I I think that there's pressure on Sean because, you know, they win 13 games every year. They're Super Bowl contender. It's hard to balance how much leash you give to a young player to let them develop in real time versus going with the guys that you trust. But right now they're really getting caught up in a guy that they thought they might be able to trust in Tyrell Dotson early on. It has not been the case. I mean, this thing is far from over. I don't know if they're going to feel comfortable running him out there to start at middle linebacker to start the season. And now we're talking about Terrell Bernard, who really hasn't looked that good when he's been in there, getting back from this hamstring injury to maybe at least give them another option. So I like the idea of just throwing Dorian Williams out there and letting him kind of learn on the fly and lean on some of these veterans to help him along. Like why can't Micah Hyde or, or Matt Milano help in calling the defense? I mean, you'd be able to call answers right. better than me, Jerry, but I, right. I think that's something that Sean McDermott said he's not opposed to, but it's definitely not something he's leaning into either. No, I think Williams has a tremendous, he's a tremendously instinctual player. He can get to the football. I don't know. Maybe it's because of the way we play our defensive line. We're really not kind of a, I don't want to say two-gap scheme, but we don't really hold up O-linemen to where we let – hey, let, let's face facts. The whole reason that Zach Thomas is in the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame is because when I was playing, they had one guy was 365, the other guy was 375, and they grabbed the entire middle and they let him go find the football, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Williams can find the football, and I, I agree with you 100%. Sometimes they have no problem right now with, with Osiris Torrance going out there and, right. and figuring it out on his own. You know, why can't they let Williams do that as well? But kind of moving back to the Torrance thing, and we talked about it early, and I just kind of wanted to get maybe if you had an insight on the philosophy of Brandon Bean and what his philosophy might be about building an offensive line. You bring McGovern in, a guy that that is, you know, he's a vet. He's played a little bit, but not a ton. Seems to be an upgrade over what we had there last year in Roger Scaffold. Then you bring in Edwards as a guy that can play around, you know, play a couple spots. You bring Torrance in. They seem to have done a very good job of solidifying the middle, which, again, I thought was a weakness on both sides of the ball. Maybe they really didn't quite do as much out, outside. Shell retires, which, you know, has has hurt him. I think they rolled the dice on Brown, thinking that he would be over the back injury, he would be back. He struggled early, and his struggles are not athleticism and size. His struggles are technique-wise. And I almost believe that maybe that back is keeping him from being technique sound. But when you look at Bean and what he's done and maybe hasn't done this preseason up front on the offensive side of the ball, kind of what is maybe give us a little bit of insight on what his theories are on building, you know, building his offensive line and getting the five best guys up front out there. Yeah, I I think like, you know, he he learned some lessons last year uh, on the personnel. I mean, I I actually – 
agreed with the approach of getting a guy that Aaron Cromer was signing off on in Saffold. He worked with him in L.A., was a big reason why uh, they had such a dynamic run game and can held up in pass protection as well, was going to be able to come in and help Cromer teach all the Bills offensive linemen that system. You needed that last year, I think. Um, and even talking to Saffold at the end of the year, locker cleanout, he was like, you don't understand. Like a lot of these young offensive linemen are going to come back next year and be completely different animals. And I think he was a little bit pro prophetic with that because right. look at Ryan Vandemark right now, who's really coming on and coming into his own. He got to spend one year in Cromer's system, get the download in the offseason. He's come out a completely different beast. Now, is that enough to rely on a kid who, you know, an undrafted free agent that ended up getting cut? by the Colts, you bring him on and he spent the year on the practice squad last year, he might end up ascending and being really good for you. Um, but again, there's not that proven veteran. I was never on board with the Brandon shell um, approach. It was one that had to be made at that point in free agency, but he was arguably as bad, if not worse than Spencer Brown last year. Like people always pointed to the fact that he started all these games the last couple of years, but he wasn't very good while he was doing it. So I think his decision to retire is probably based on the fact that, you know, he wanted to see if he could still do it. He, he played one preseason game. Shout out to him for not pulling Avante, like in the middle of uh, week one or week right. two. Right. Um, but in terms of the approach, listen, I, I, I think they still think Deion Dawkins is a franchise franchise left tackle. We'll see if that is the case. Um, we'll get a re really large sample size this year. And then in Brown, from the moment the offseason started, every single time we talked to Spencer or uh, Britton Bean, Spencer Brown was asked about. And every single time he said they believe in him. And so if you believe in a player, you got two years left on the rookie deal. I get why you want to kind of lean into it's almost what I wish they would have done with Kyrie Elam. Like they pick and choose these players right. that they have this belief in because it's like right. with Brown. I, I'd argue we've seen just as much downs as we've seen from Kyrie Elam, right? But their approach to that was, now it's a little bit more costly to bring in real legitimate, you know, tackles that can compete for starting jobs. I get that. But with Elam, I argued at one point before camp started, I would have, I would have not re-signed Dane Jackson be, just because it's the safe option. Like you could always find right. that level of play. Now, I'm not downplaying Dane Jackson. He's a really good, solid player. They like him in his in their scheme. But I think when you go out and draft a guy like Kyrie and you saw enough last year to build upon, go the Spencer Brown route. Like I, I think right. that's how you learn about players. So yeah, it's an interesting dynamic with how they built things. And I know Bills fans are un unhappy with the way the tackle position feels like what they did at guard last year. And they're, and they're hoping that that doesn't, really end up dooming them as they go into the season. And real quick, and Sarah, I know you got something you want to ask before we let Matt go. And Matt, we appreciate you coming on with us. Thanks for being patient and um, allowing help back help getting us through our technical problems. <laughs> but, um, you know, you said a word that I think is really, really important. You said a word safe. And I think that I've used that before with this franchise right now. And I don't know if it's a direct rapport to, the 17 year drought or whatever that they're like, you know what? We're winning a lot more than we're losing. So if we're safe, we're going to be successful more than not. But to me anyway, they seems that they need to maybe take that risk to get over the top. There's sometimes when you play games, 
you know, you're playing game. It's just like Frazier, a defensive coordinator. The way he played defense was really, really safe. And I use this example all the time. Dealers showing six or less, you don't hit in blackjack, right? And that style of defense he played was really safe. But when you have 13 seconds and all of a sudden thing, and you try to do that, it gets you beat. And I think that's something, yeah, I think it's something that, I, I just think it's something that needs to be eliminated. Because if you want to win the trophy at the end of the year, you got to take some risks. This is who they are, though. Like, right. if you really look at the last six years, right? Like, what's changed from the Rex Ryan era to the Brandon Bean, Sean McDermott era, right? They're so tight-lipped. If anything gets out, yep. like, they're on the warpath. Like, right. the, the reporting guidelines and restrictions, the, mm-hmm. you know, just the way that they operate in the building. Like, you never see, like, scoops coming out of that building, ever. Like, anything that the national guys get – I would imagine maybe gets a gets fed to them a little bit at times from the bills, but very rarely. Um, that's just how they operate. They they don't want to they don't want fans like filming their practices at training right. camp and putting it out <laughs> on social media. I, I I don't know. For me, I never played football competitively. Um, I watched it my entire life since I was five years old. I probably watched you know tens of thousands of football games in my life. Um. I don't think you win a football game or lose a football game based on what a team knows you're going to do. And you could speak to this better than I can, Jerry, but like you go out, you line up and you got to beat the other team and you got to be confident that you can beat them no matter what, if they know your playbook, if they, if the, if the ball's been, you know, deflated or um, some other nonsense has gone on in the game at the end of the day, you got to make more plays than the other team. And I think sometimes maybe they spend a little bit too much time worrying about, Stuff that shouldn't really impact the game. You know, Bruce Arians a couple of years ago, he didn't care about anything the year they won the Super Bowl. Anything. He was just out there like he couldn't wait to get to the end of his day so he can go get a drink and go on with his day. And yep. it, that was just – he just – that's how he ran his locker room. And sometimes I think if you're too uptight, you could pay for it and be a little bit too safe, right? Yep. So uh, speaking of that, speaking of – hopefully not being too safe. Uh, we have uh, McDermott being the defensive coordinator this year um, and then Dorsey going into his second year. Kind of just what have you felt through camp and through the first um, couple of preseason games? How are people buying into to Dorsey the second year? Because, you know, obviously we had some um, some issues towards the end of the season where we felt like the offense didn't look the same. And then how are people, you know, warming up to McD being the uh, defensive coordinator? So let me first say, like, I absolutely got a kick out of this Chris Broussard um, viral. That was awful. That was awful. Like, I don't know how you could. So everything I just said about Brandon and Sean, like, I think they're a little bit too safe, maybe, and a little bit too like paranoid about things getting out. Whatever, you cannot argue with the absolute success that their regime has been in Buffalo. And you talk about a franchise—you had to completely turn this entire culture from top to bottom to get them to be what they've been in the last couple of years. I mean, five playoff appearances in six seasons. Could you imagine thinking about that in 2012? You know, 20 2009. The problem is, like, you look back to last season and the DeMar Hamlin situation. To me, I don't know 
I would have given Sean McDermott coach of the year just based on yes. all of that. You want to talk about the definition of leadership in that moment to keep this whole thing afloat while dealing with somebody who almost died on the field. You have 63 guys that 53 guys that are brothers to the guy that had to go on with one of the most difficult jobs in the world, professional football, getting ready to play games, going out and playing the games and keep all that stuff together. And the worst part about the Broussard thing to me was like Bucky Brooks, who's as plugged in in the NFL circles as anybody just sat there and like let him say it like with no context. Like he's like a, he was a scout. Like he is in NFL circles. He knows everything about GMs, coaches, scouts. That was wild to me. Like I, I like Bucky. I respect him, but that was wild. He was a second round pick of the bills. He was a second round pick when I was there. He played for Buffalo. He knows what it's about. Um, but um, go ahead, Sarah, if you had something. Yeah, no, I just a uh, follow up to that um, before we let you go. I was just going to ask, uh, how do you feel considering you've been around the team last year, year before now, obviously, how do you feel? Have we improved going into the season? You, you tell me all the time that you have to remain, you know, unbiased and you're not a fan anymore. So we've, we've had those conversations. Um, so as if someone asks me, I'm sure, you know, I'm being as biased as possible. So unbiasedly, <laughs> how do you feel? Do you feel like we are better this season or should we be worried? Yeah, people struggle with that uh, concept. <laughs> we don't talk about that much on the show anymore because there's such a backlash <laughs> recently when I, when I just. Oh, really? It. Sorry. But I, I think actually Jerry and I can have like a really good conversation. Like when you go into the locker room and you have to ask tough questions to athletes after they play some of the best moments games of their lives and the worst, like it changes the dynamic on both sides. Right. Like I, I just, I don't watch a game with an emotional um, pull anymore because I got to go to work as soon as it's done and I'm working during it. So it just, it changes the operation of it all. But if you're asking me about what I think about the bills going into the season, I've been on the record saying that I think that they're more of a Super Bowl contender this year than they were last year. And I think that's because they learned a lot about where the holes were on their roster. Sure, we could we could really zero in on middle linebacker and we could really zero in on right tackle, but they had both of those. They had the one spot with a pro bowler last year, and it didn't matter in the playoffs against Skylar Thompson or Joe Burrow. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I wasn't like sold on the idea of paying $18 million a year for Tremaine Edmonds, because when they needed this defense, a real pro bowl, all pro to really take hold of this defense in moments against some of these elite quarterbacks, it's just sometimes I left you to be wanting more. And so I was okay with him moving on. So there's a couple holes we could, we could dig into this thing, but man, Taylor Rapp as a backup to Hyde and, and Poyer, massive Kincaid, massive upgrade. I think they have a more dynamic receiving core, beyond Davis and Diggs, Hardy and Sherfield. I mean, that is a significant upgrade on what was it last year? Jameson Crowder, who never played and Isaiah McKenzie for as much as I love the, the person, man, every conversation I ever had with him in the locker room was phenomenal. I, yeah. I love him. I saw him in the, in the tunnel a couple of weeks ago when Indy came, gave him a big hug and, and thanked him for it. Like that, that, that is what I'm a fan of. I'm a fan of people. You know what I mean? Like I was a fan of covering Isaiah McKenzie the whole time he was here. I'll never say a bad thing about him, but it just never worked when he got his real opportunity. So everywhere you look, even on the defensive line, 
Like Leonard Floyd. Where was Leonard Floyd last year? Did they have a Leonard Floyd last year? They didn't. They didn't have a Puna Fort last year. Um, so I think at the second level, you could figure things out. You could, you could roll the dice. You could try Dotson for a week. You could try um, Bernard when he gets back. And then if not, you're going to have to just figure it out and put Dorian Williams out there, which I think they probably should do for the, from the beginning. Um, but I just think they're better top to bottom. And I think you have a very motivated group that's hearing the noise and Sean McDermott gets to play the underdog card again. Cause nobody's picking the bills to do anything and that's right. where they want to be. So that's what I like about them. But I also think as, as we got better, the division got better as well. And I think what, what Bill's fan and the Bill's mafia has to kind of come to realization of is this. If you look at the four toughest schedules in the league this year, it's the four teams in the AFC East Indeed. because their crossover opponents this year or who the NFC East, right? So the Bills got a very, very hard schedule. They're going to lose some games because they're playing really good football teams. They play Philly on the road, okay? I mean, they, they've got some tough opponents. So maybe they don't win 13, but the goal is to get into the playoffs. And I truly believe this team will be better off fighting, scratching, clawing, getting after it with this tough schedule moving into the postseason with maybe more than three losses than they would be if they just go ahead and cakewalk it through again and end up 13 and three or 14 and two. And then we're back and we're back in the same position we've been in. I think these guys need to face a little adversity. I think they need to face this tough schedule. And I think it's going to, it's going to strain them a little bit. It's going to toughen them up a little bit. It's going to make them better in the postseason because that's what it's all about getting that shot in the postseason. And you hope that you get in the position where you're not playing a wild card, but even if you do, you're in the playoffs and everybody's everybody's got a chance then. So I do think they got better, but I think the perspective is the division and the schedule is is also better and tougher than it was last season. Right. Yeah. And I definitely think that even though I do I agree, I think we've gotten better. That doesn't mean that our our win loss record will be better than last year because we are playing higher quality opponents. So Matt, do you want to talk about some of the things that you're working on coming up this season. I know you guys are going out to London as well. Yes. So I'll see you there. Probably catch yeah. you on the, the train or something. <laughs> yes. I, I'm, I'm trying to think where, where I'll see you. If, you. if you're in, are you going to the New York game? Obviously. Yes. New Jersey. <sighs> excuse me. New Jersey. Um, uh, I'll probably see you on the trains out there. Cause I'm, my yeah. wife is actually coming with us. Oh, nice. Uh, with me. And we're going to Billy Joel on Sunday night. Um, oh, you told me that. Okay. Yeah. I think he's only got That's a couple awesome. shows left and I've never seen him live. So we're pretty excited about that. Yeah, we're doing. So every month we do a live show at wing nuts. Uh, wing nuts is opening up their first standalone all by themselves um, location in Amherst where the old Santoras was our next show is I'm not going to promote it too much because I think it's on the same night as, as your show. I'm sorry. Uh, the night before the home opener. I'm sorry. Ah! I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but um yeah, we'll be out in London. If you're going to London, definitely hit me up. I'll give you details on that, what we'll be doing. Because the show that we're doing live at the Fitzrovia Bell, which is the home of the Bills backers out there, it's sold out in like 90 minutes. So I can't yeah. talk about that too much. Uh, but, yeah, you can find all of our stuff uh, at my Twitter handle, at Matt Perino. But, hey, Matt, we appreciate you. As always, hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. We appreciate you watching tonight. Big crowds, of course because Matt was with us. We appreciate his patience. Again, Matt, Channel 4, Bill's Beat Reporter, also has a Shout podcast. As you said earlier, you can catch him on other uh, other venues, other avenues as well. Matt, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Um, 
I'm the big O Jerry Ostrowski. She is Sarah Larson. As always, th- uh, Wednesday nights at nine Eastern, eight Central. If I can remember that myself, yeah, we switched eight Central it up. <laughs> on Wednesday night. It is the Line to Gain uh, podcast here on the Buffalo Rumblings Vidcast Network. As always, and uh, Matt will let you sign off as well. As always, one love and go Bills. Bills. Take Matt care, won't everybody. say it. Take care, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>